It's officially college football bowl season. Last year, we went an outstanding 10-1 on our bowl predictions, including hitting three Moneyline Underdog outright winners. With games starting this weekend, we have launched our bowl package with a special 20% discount, which will run through the rest of the bowl season. Just Google Sharp Football, click on the website Sharp Football Analysis, and click the blue banner up top to get access. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident, Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we are here week 15. It is the fantasy playoffs for everybody. It is a full slate of games. No more bye weeks here for the final quarter of the season. And since it is the playoff time and it's crunch time, you know, I always like to bring in the best guests I can find. And I'm actually really excited today because the guest that I have on today is someone whose work I've been reading for a long time. And we haven't really done a lot of podcasts uh, together. So I'm excited to have him on. It's Scott Pianaski from Yahoo. Scott, what's going on, brother? Not much, Rich. Yeah, great to talk to you. Um, much love to, to Sharp Sports. Much love to your work and, you know, um, the Swami Konami. You know, you... <laughs> You coined, you coined something, man. I mean, look, I've been doing this for a long time, but I don't have one calling card. Like you can say, hey, Konami code. And everybody knows, you say Konami code, everybody knows it's Rich Rebar. So I think that's a great brand for you to have. And, um, you know, every time we talk, I get smarter. We have a good conversation and, uh, you know, let's keep having more of them. Let's have a good one today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I got to run into you at Canton shortly. At the, you, the the most time we spent together was during a draft, unfortunately, so we didn't get a chance to catch up. So hopefully we'll take this uh, opportunity here to to run out. But uh, we'll definitely, you know, get the tip one next year. We'll find a way to, to you know, to have a drink together. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but you you know, it's funny is I wrote the Konami Code in 2013, and that feels like a long time to me. But uh, you've actually been doing this a lot longer than 2013. And I don't want to date you, but I was reading your work and you and, you know, Mike Salfino's, you know, the, the breakfast table, the banter. I got into fantasy football because I was a huge fantasy baseball player mm-hmm. uh, and, and grew up reading you guys. And you have to... Like I said, been do, doing this so long. I've been reading your work for so long. And the fantasy industry has changed so much since I got in in 2012. And you were doing this before Twitter, before all this other things. So I kind of want to just uh, pick your brain in the open segment here to kick things off. Just kind of, you know, one, uh, you know, how things ha- have changed for you and, you know, how you've been able to kind of adjust and calibrate and continue to do this so long. And then maybe we'll talk about some some things that like are, are where the industry is and where we see it on the horizon. But uh, talk to me just a little bit about your journey from where you started and, and to where we are now. Sure. Yeah, I'll try to keep this as succinct <laughs> as possible. Um, but I was a newspaper guy and a fantasy player. Started playing fantasy baseball in the late 80s. Started playing fantasy football in the early 90s. And that was back when there, there weren't a lot of fantasy-based publications. You know, um, John Hansen's product came out in the, in the mid-90s, and I got to know him shortly after. He was one of the first persons I ever worked for. But when I first started playing fantasy, you were up on the competition if you read the USA Today like twice a week and saw those like they'd have a little note <laughs> of maybe a Washington player wasn't going to play this week or something. You knew that and your opponents didn't, you know. Um, so it was really easy to win a fantasy league in the 90s because if you just put a little bit more effort in than your opponents, even just grinding the box scores and just paying attention to the data and stuff. You know, we didn't have target data. There was no internet yet. Yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. A lot of our leagues were scored by hand and just by trying harder and, and maybe looking for at one source when no, the other guy had no sources. You know, there was no internet yet. And then what happens in the late 90s? The internet fantasy explodes. You have these easier places to play. You don't have to keep score anymore. Somebody will score for you. You don't have to do your legwork anymore because RotoWire or RotoWorld or any number of places will do that now. You know, all sorts of places popped up. I mentioned John Hansen earlier, who's a, who's a friend and one of the first people who gave me a chance to work. People at RotoWire have been great to me. Um, so I was in early and Fortunately, I, I feel lucky. I mean, I, I'm glad a lot of the stuff I wrote in the mid to late 90s is like not even available anywhere because I, I, I can only think of how prehistoric it was. We didn't, you know, pro football reference wasn't a thing yet. There's no PFF. We didn't have all this smart data that we have now. So what, what, where are we at now? Okay, the industry is so different. When I came in, all you did was write. There was no satellite radio. There was no podcasting, anything like that. Now, you know, we, we know you want to be good on different platforms. You, you want to come on podcasts. You want to go on the radio. Uh, you know, maybe you do a live remote or whatever. There's all these different ways to get into the game. You, you don't have to work for anybody. If you 
care about fantasy, you can go on Twitter or go on TikTok or go on Instagram, whatever it is, and develop your own niche, your own setting, your own you know people, whatever it is. You, you, you know, that that wall's been broken down, and, we, and we've seen people, you know, people like Adam Leviton and Evan Silva, who I have great respect mm-hmm. for, you know, they did awesome work at Roto World and said, you know what, let's have our own shop, and you know, I think it's great that Establish the Run is as successful as it is. Nothing against Roto World, I love those guys too. Lots of good people over there, but. There's so many different ways into the game now. And if you have a point of view, if you have something interesting to say, people will find you. Now, of course, it's, it's much more competitive. We have much more data. There's so much more to know. And that's why I, I have so much respect for you and Warren, because you guys are, are sharp people, always looking for deeper answers. You're always trying to figure out the whys and where is the, you know, skate to where the puck is headed, not where it's been. And um, I, I feel that you have to... You can't get away with that. I I tried hard when I first started playing. I wanted to win all my leagues and everything. It just wasn't that hard to do it because my opponents weren't that good. The thing about fantasy football now is that even the worst manager in your league is still probably pretty good because he's got Mm -hmm. good information handed to him from somebody. You know, if if he gets his hands on your stuff, he's got a puncher's chance, even if he does no legwork during the week. You know, if he's read your your um, your worksheet, then he's got all this data that this guy never had 20 years ago. These people were so easy to beat in the old days. So it's a lot more competitive now, but it's fun. It's younger. It's getting more and more diverse. We, we still need to work on that as an industry. But, you know, there's, there's all sorts of people of different backgrounds now into the game, and, and that's getting better and better every year. So I, I think it's exciting for me, and it it helps keep the game fresh for me because, again, I'm one of the older people, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay relevant here and, you know um, – you know, I'm not for everybody. Some people, you know, some people are more stat based than I am. Some people are better writers than I am. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I think I, I write fine. I, th- I think I have enough data in there, but I'm not the data heaviest person. I try to rewatch games, but I'm I'm not Bill Belichick. I'm not a scout. You know, I'm not doing PFF grading or something like that. So I, I try to incorporate all that stuff and make the best decisions I can. And that's kind of where I am today. No, I love it. I, I think one of the best things you are always good at, and, and even through the the period where like data has become heavy uh, is you're just able to contextualize stuff. You know, you, I think the literally, because to me, even someone that uses a lot of numbers and data, the biggest advantage uh, that I have is just being able to distill it. So it's, it's, it's usable. You know, there's a lot of people that are way better at, you know, coding and creating graphs and, and using data, but they don't know how to convey it. And it's hard, you know, listen, my father-in-law is not going to open an article if it's got 700 charts on it. He's just not. And like, you know, trying to find that bridge to all audiences, right? Like where if it is data heavy, I've got something for you. And then if it's also just want me to break down what this actually means, I'm trying to do that too. Just distill it as flat as possible. Um, and I thought you've always been able to do that and kind of crystallize. Uh, I love how you on. phrase that. Let me jump in here for a second. Yeah, yeah. I said once to, to Evan, I may have said this to Frank Schwab too. But I remember saying this to Evan Silva once. I said, you know, what I love about your work is that it's smart enough for your smart readers, but it's accessible enough for your more casual readers that they can both get something out of it. And that's if, if you can hit that sweet spot where you're smart enough for the best, the smartest part of your audience, but you're also going to be relatable to the people who maybe aren't as hardcore. That's the idea. So that way you're not dumbing down your work, but you're also not putting it at some level where it's like it's going over people's heads. If you can appeal to different types of audiences, which is it sounds it's easier said than done. Right. <laughs> some people do it really well. Again, you know, uh, Evan Silva, I think, does it as well as anybody. Plus, I, I want to mention Levitin also because he he plays his strategy is so similar to my strategy, except I think he just does it better than I do. Where Adam Levitin is like, OK, I'm going to listen to everything and weed out all the bullshit and get down to what really matters. You know, and this coach speak doesn't matter, but this mm-hmm. usage does, you know, he's so good at that. And, I, and that's kind of the way I play. Cause I, again, I'm not beating people. I don't know enough. I'm a football fan, lifelong football fan and sports fan with a reasonable amount of intelligence, but I'm not an offensive coordinator mm-hmm. as much as I'll complain about how the Falcons <laughs> use their players or whatever. You know, I, I only understand the game on a certain level. It's, it's not, you know, it's not like I could, you know, be the defensive coordinator for the Bengals tomorrow or something. I just don't, that's, that's above my head. But, um, you know, I, I also think fantasy, the most important thing we can do is like just having common sense, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> it comes down to what Levitan does. He distill what matters. Okay. Here's a team, a team just gave us a press conference. A team just put out, you know, a couple of games on film. What matters here and what should we ignore? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I model myself after is I, I think I'm good at weeding out the BS. Yeah, I think a lot of those initial Roto World people like Westling and Levitan, like they they were just so uh, that that background of just being able to understand trying to process, bring the news to kind of the blurbs 
and understand what is you know actionable and what is viable and i think that those guys were able to just develop the, and hone their craft so much to to take those other platforms and have success that it was such a huge gain starting out there uh, i, love I know that, that chris wessling organically comes to so many conversations i have with people yeah uh, what a the, gem the late chris wessling who was just a, a renaissance man who was just curious right i mean your favorite the, the best friends, the best people to hang around with are people who are curious, curious about art, curious about music, curious about wine, whatever it is, history, you know, um, whatever it is that, that makes makes you want to get out of bed every day and, and just think about the world. And Chris Wessling was one of those guys. And, and he was a curator of great things and fine things. And he was always saying, oh, you should read this article or you should, you know, he, he would just I, I love everything he stood for and it's just what a loss he was um mm -hmm. a couple of years ago we lost him and um you know his legacy lives on with his son and, and his widow who's a really great lady but um i'm glad you, you brought up chris wesling and make sure you read he did an article on the cincinnati bengals of the 70s he also did an article on love you blue which was the earl campbell bum phillips uh ken stabler oilers i i go back and reread those like once a year try to keep his memory alive because he he stood for like everything that was good about us yeah, I loved that he would always go back and talk about uh, you know past too, like what got us to this point. Uh, a lot of the football, because I'm still like that too. I've I've watched so much football in my life and try to you know bring up all the the glory moments and and stuff that you know we forget about, right? Like you know Patrick Jeffers sees it, and like stuff like you know, love that. Love amazing. that team, like, that Panthers team. Steve yeah, Berline. You know, Steve Berline was yeah. going. They were thinking about um, benching him for Jeff Lewis. I'll never forget this. Yep. They played the Packers in Green Bay in Lambeau. And if they lose this game, the talk was, well, we're out of the playoff hunt. Let's just see if Jeff Lewis is any good. And they had a do or die play from like the five or six yard line. And Berline ran, who had no speed at all, ran it. And I don't know if it was a call draw or if he just didn't see anybody open, said, okay, I'm just going to try to score. And he punches it in. They win the game and they end up just going bonkers the rest of the season including the final game they needed to keep scoring to try to make the playoffs the tiebreaker at the time was like this point point differential or points yep. or something like that so they were just you know muhammad went crazy jeffers had that one of those just totally lost in context seasons yep it never happened to get muhammad actually had another great season a few mm -hmm. years later he had like 16 touchdowns he was a really underrated player one of those great michigan state players but i i love that panthers <laughs> team i yeah, you know I don't have unlimited time today, but yet I have to ask you one question. I mean, I know you're always rocking a Cleveland hat. What was the first Browns team? Like, I think of the 2007 team that with Derek Anderson that played all those Alcoa finishes was great. I'm old enough to remember Kosar. I think Kosar might have been maybe before your time. No, what I was would, right there. That were was you there so... for Kosar in the, in the Broncos games and all that? So the interesting thing is uh, I'm I'm not a Browns fan. I wasn't raised as a Browns fan. Okay. Um, been here my whole life. That. So my... My, my father was never a football fan. So I never had it like it instilled in me, like we like the Browns, we root for the Browns here, right? So I actually grew up a huge 49ers fan because the Browns would always play at one o'clock. This is, you know, local TV, not the datas again, but you, we got a game at one o'clock, we got a game at four o'clock and we only had two, three TV channels and the Browns would be at one and they were they were good like that was you know the minifield you know days uh you know they were they were they were awesome defense hanford dixon all those guys they had kosar but like the offense wasn't like amazing they had like you know webster slaughter they were more of a run team still with you know mac and biner but then at four o'clock the team that was always on was the 49ers and i watched afc football for three hours and the 49ers would come on and it was a it felt like i was watching a different sport yeah i was in in I it's easy I get for people to say like oh you're a front runner but like I was like in in awe it was like seeing like you know like the first movie you saw was like Shawshank Redemption you're like well this is what all movies are like like that's what it was like getting exposed to that 80s 49ers team like I was yeah, just like I was like black and white to color right I was just, just Bill Walsh Joe Montana Jerry Rice yeah Roger Steve Craig Young, and Roger I was, Craig, I'm like so good all those all those <laughs> underrated combo backs like Craig I mean I think Craig has a borderline Hall of Fame case. Yeah, it's, you know, so uh, I grew up a, a huge 49ers fan. And then, uh, you know, that that waned as I got into this industry, it really kind of and I had lost like kind of like what being a fan was mm -hmm. anyways. But then getting exposed to this industry kind of pushed me way over the edge. And I was like, all right. And then I knew I was for sure out when the Niners made the Super Bowl a few years ago against the Chiefs. And I didn't feel anything for the ride and like didn't feel anything. And I was like, oh, I'm officially out. Like, that's a great test, right? I always say that you know you're a fan of something when do you feel sad when they lose? Yeah. Okay, like for example, I'm wearing a, this hat. This B hat is a Bryant, a Bryant University hat. A very good friend of mine, his son is on the coaching staff 
of Bryant University, and so I adopted this team. I got into the you know last year on a lark. He's like, hey, you know, we're playing today. We're we're streaming on ESPN Plus. Watch the game, and I just fell in love with the way they played. And you know, again, this guy's my my good friend. His son's part of the team, so I I end up going back east. I went to some games. It's a really fun place to play a game uh, to watch a game. And awesome. so I've just become, even though I went to Providence and I always went to Providence, the Providence basketball team last year was, was terrific. It was an extremely old team. I mean, they had all these like 50 year guys and guys who opted into extra seasons. It was one of the best Providence teams in memory, but uh, Bryant's also, when Bryant loses, I feel sad. When Bryant beat Syracuse a few weeks ago, I was really excited, you know, and I don't have that. I grew up in New England. So, you know, Patriots fan, Red Sox fan, Bruins fan, Celtics fan. And all those teams have won, obviously the Patriots, you know, hit the lottery. They got Brady at 199. They got Belichick, who I, at the time, I was like, why are they hiring Bill Belichick? I get, well, I <laughs> talk about being wrong on something, man. You know, I mean, he ends up being the best coach probably in league history or one of them anyway. My teams have won so often. No thanks to me. I didn't call any plays. I didn't sign any free agents. I didn't make any tackles. But I'm so you know, satisfied as a fan. I just want the Red Sox to win one title and I would have been happy. They won a bunch of titles. Uh, you know, the Celtics have had plenty of success. They, the Bruins got that title that they hadn't had in a long time. So now it's like, eh, you know, I, I like it when the <laughs> Patriots beat the Jets, but if the Patriots don't make the playoffs, I don't really care. You know, Mac Jones probably isn't going anywhere. It doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, we got to get Mike. You got to get that uh, feeling into Mike, though. Maybe he's still, he doesn't cast it in yet, so he's still. Well, we still it. we still go at it like cats and dogs when the Jets and, and Patriots <laughs> play. But you know, one thing about Mike. <laughs> Is he's really got me going on this Jets team, and you know, I did, I, I guess we're eventually going to try to give some fancy advice because I I can't help but meander. <laughs> one one of my biggest theories, okay, is this whole idea of friendliest loss, which is some people right. are going to say, I got to play my big names. I I say I, I say Quan Barkley. I've been talking about this on Twitter today and last couple of days. Well, he's my first round pick. He's my second round pick. I got to play him. I I can't bench him for Bam Knight or I can't bench him for Brian Robinson now. Let's say you have some of those choices. You may have a couple of those running backs. You may even have all three of them. Okay, I'm not saying you have to bench Barkley. I'm what I am saying is that you can't automatically play Barkley because of when you picked him in, in the summer or the fact that you mm -hmm. didn't know anything about Zonovan Knight a, a month ago, which I admittedly did not. I knew nothing about this guy. Okay, I just want to make the best decisions I can, and if that means playing a guy I knew nothing about a month ago, so be it. I would play Bam Knight over Saquon Barkley. I'm not trying to be cute. I'm not trying to brand it. I'm not trying to wave my arms and say, hey, look at me. I'm just saying I want to play the best player I think is possible. And, and if that isn't the big name, so be it. I just want to use the guy I think is going to score the most points. And again, when I say friendliest loss, what that means is some people might say, well, I have to play Barkley because if I lose, at least I went down with my first round pick or my second round pick or the big name player. And that doesn't matter to me. If you lose, it's going to stink no matter what. And if you in the back of your mind think that Bam Knight's really the right play and you don't play him, that's gonna that's gonna sing at you too. I, you know, just do what you think is right, and don't be, don't judge. Well, what wrong what wrong pick will can I live with the most? Just do what you think is right, and if it's if it's not the name player, so be it. Yeah, you have to treat this the fantasy playoffs in week fifteen a, a lot like well, not necessarily like a, a DFS because you can still place in DFS, but you have to treat it like we're just trying to set the best lineup for week 15 to get to week 16 and we'll deal with that when we get there uh doesn't matter who got you there and yeah it's, i was actually going to lead off with that and, and see ask if you did anything different for the fantasy playoffs but yeah this is where we are and uh let's let's jump into it then because i think when you look at the quarterback position that's kind of where we're starting with a lot of guys that either have been hot uh to this point or you know we've been riding and they just either have suboptimal matchups or they've been running a little bit cold and i look at this on the surface and i hope it's not a down week fantasy playoffs we want all the points to be scored right like we want games to be fun we want to have like uh you know we want to win our matchups but we want them to not be like a low score and we want to ha have them be slugfests the best of the best right like we want them to be great great matchups but i look at this quarterback slate from a top-down perspective from a ten thousand foot view lens week and i'm like ooh. This might not be the hottest like week of games uh, because you look at it. Uh, let's start with Tua Tungvaliola, right? Uh, two bad games in a row. Uh, whether we can get into the weeds of like, has he have have the Dolphins been exposed? Is this the recipe to beat them? But step back on the Dolphins season in context now. They've scored more than 21 points now against the Ravens back in week two, and they scored 28 in the fourth quarter. Then against the Lions, the Bears the Browns, and the Texans. Those are the only teams they scored more than 21 points against. Now we've got back-to-back -back West Coast games heading into Buffalo. They've got a low team total. 
What are we doing with Tua Tungabaiola? How confident are you if you've gotten here to this point because of Tua's hot stretch to say like, all right, I'm going to go in and I need to make a change here at quarterback? I'm definitely concerned. Um, two, two bad weeks in a row. You don't play well against the 49ers. You can shrug that off, the Niners yeah. defense. And I always say, when you, when you look at defensive matchups, I, I care about the outliers. Who's really, really nasty? And like mm-hmm. I think like the Jets are one of those teams. The Niners are one of those teams. So when they didn't play well in that game, I kind of shrugged it off. I did think the Chargers, it was a little bit wrong that the Chargers were underdogs last week. I thought they were a good pick. The Chargers obviously controlled that game. The Dolphins had a couple of a, a long touchdowns, one of them a very improbable one with the fumble recovery yeah. for Hill, and then he just outruns everybody good for him. But you know, it, Hill ends up getting what is the ankle, I think it was, at the end of that game. Waddle may not be 100%. The running game has not been reliable. Now you have a third straight road game against a good defense. There could be weather that comes into play. It's a night game. Uh, you have to play Tyree Kill. There's nobody else on this roster, and that it actually includes Jalen Waddle. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Hill's the only guy I feel like you have to play. Everybody else, it's going to come down to what your depth is. Now, unfortunately, if you do have Tua, if he's been your main guy, it's been such a – to me, the biggest takeaway for sure in this year's fantasy season has been all the quarterbacks that have broken offenses, all these veterans who've gotten hurt or played poorly – Brady's been a disappointment. Rodgers has been a disappointment. Wilson's been terrible. Stafford got hurt. He wasn't playing well anyway. Is it, yeah, even guys, I, I talked myself into maybe Baker Mayfield being a good thing for the Panthers. That was not at all true. Uh, the, the Steelers are, what, nine touchdown passes. You can go on and on. Deshaun Watson finally gets unveiled, and he's been really poor for two weeks. Dak Prescott was hurt for a while. Mac Jones has taken a step back. It's It's ugly. You know, it's to the point that's like, save me, Jared Goff. And even Jared Goff, <laughs> I want to play Jared Goff. He's got, he's got the Jets this week the, at the worst possible time. And that's a yep. road game, no less. So I, I moved to a down in my rankings, but you have to have somebody else to play. Yes. What I could see, maybe maybe you have like Tua and Trevor Lawrence. That's where I'd be tempted to, to punch the Trevor Lawrence ticket. And look, I admit there's a little bit of emotional attachment here that when Trevor Lawrence is really good in college, he goes first in the draft class. We know how poorly that class played last year for a variety of reasons. He was saddled with the worst coach that he could possibly have. And then he gets off to kind of a slow start this year. But then when he had a couple of better games, he really plays well in that comeback win against Baltimore, steps back against the Lions. He was terrific last week against Tennessee. I know the Titans' pass defense is bad. I know they're a funnel, but... I'm just really excited what Lawrence has shown, and, and I can't wait to see if they get anything out of Calvin Ridley next year because everybody at their receiver position is kind of playing a slot up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is a guy you might – I could see a two a team maybe having Trevor too. I, it's, it's, it's always weird because once you get quarterback solved, a lot of times you don't bother with a backup. Yeah. But uh, two is – I'm short answer, I'm concerned about Tua, and I'd be open-minded to different answers. Yeah, of course, the real tough thing this week is finding an actual streamer that's worthwhile. Is there anybody out there that you think that maybe some, either someone picked up or could be out there that even has a favorable spot this week that you're looking at? You know, I, I wish I knew Mike Rib, uh, Mike Rib, Mike Mike White's <laughs> rib was healthy. I, and I'm sure plenty of Jets fans are willing to donate one. It's easier to throw on the lines than it is to run on them. The run defense actually come around nicely the last few weeks and they stuffed yep. Dalvin Cook into a pretzel. That's always a tricky thing, right? Is what do you what, what data do we care about when it comes to like defensive eval? Is it the whole season or should we be waiting what's happened recently? Because the Lions, you know, early in the season, the Eagles absolutely gashed them. Kenneth Walker had a field day against them. It's been much better lately. If I knew White was healthy, and it's not that even White's that great. I mean, what do we like about White? He's better than Zach Wilson. And Garrett Wilson can drag him. And they finally, I love how they handled the Elijah Moore thing, right? He goes off the reservation. They had to take a step back from him, but they didn't totally sever the relationship. And now he's back in the circle of trust. Corey Davis is hurt. So Elijah Moore's coming off a 10-target game. That was against the Bills. wasn't easy sledding, but I think Elijah Moore could be somebody people might want to play this week. Mm-hmm. If they get, if Mike White has a good week of practice, I could see playing him over, over to, uh, I, I, because again, Garrett Wilson's a stud, man. I, how does Ohio State have Garrett Always. Wilson and Chris Olave? And you know, I mean, last year Marvin Harrison couldn't even get on the field until the bowl game. That Jamison Williams had to transfer. Right, so. Jamison Williams had to transfer, and I'm not. <laughs> and there's the other guy I'm not even thinking of who's hurt this year, whose name I yeah, can't Jackson say. Smith and Jigba, yeah, yeah. who's unbelievable, who had better numbers than everybody last year. It's un- <laughs> yeah, Jamison Williams had to leave because he wasn't going to play, and then he was, you know, seen as the consensus number one receiver in this class. It's just. Man, they are, they are, that is wide receiver you for sure. And you know, yep. the history of so many great ones, Joey Galloway and Terry Glenn and, and on and on it goes. David Boston was really good. But 
I yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if what the the college dynamics of them expanding the bowls, if it if it slows down some of the recruitment, because I think with having the condensed four teams, it actually funneled, it actually made a team like Ohio State even better because people were like, well, we gotta go there. Like, <laughs> well, so what, what's gonna happen when this puts a kid in a tough position where it's yeah. like, it's not a big deal now if somebody opts out of the bowl game. But are you going to opt out of two or three bowl games? Because, and I, I don't blame yeah. anybody for thinking about their career and thinking about their health. And, yeah, you know, it was, I, I felt good when Jameson Williams still got, you know, drafted early and everything, even with his injury, just because you hate to see a kid, you would hate to see his career be over before it really got started. But anyway, I'm, I'm in love with Garrett Wilson. I, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I've asked um, Matt Harmon, our reception perception god over at Yahoo if he prefers Wilson or Olave long-term. And I think that's just one of those things. It's going to be like a Lennon McCartney thing, you know, where you, yeah. you go either or. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer there. Obviously, neither team has a long-term solution at quarterback. But I, I watch, and this is a Patriots fan. I'm supposed to hate the Jets, but I love everything about <laughs> Garrett Wilson. Yeah, the Jets haven't had too many awesome receivers kind of flow through there. Uh, so they've been due. Uh, yeah, I definitely I, I prefer Wilson just because the I look for like the spike week ceilings. Like Wilson's had these just massive, gigantic games. Like Lobby's been really good, but like Wilson's shown you like legit like upside, like flirting with two hundred yard games with no matter who the quarterback is. People forget that Wilson was prior to made this quarterback change. He had two top fifteen games in his past three games with Zach Wilson too. Like so. Uh, he was still being productive. So let's let's treat Mike White as like kind of the barrier here as like the QB streaming game. And it, it actually has, has been worse for the Lions that their run game is a run defense has gotten better. Like they should actually, like I said, maybe think about giving up some more runs because what's done is it's funneled people to attack them in the weakest part of their defense, which for is sure. their secondary. And, you know, yeah. Justin Jefferson <laughs> just got another 50 yards when you said that, man. Yeah. Uh, they've since they're by. They when their run defense has improved, they've allowed the most receptions and yards to wide receivers because teams haven't been so successful running the football. And they've had some more positive game script because the offense has been good. But the Titans are in the same boat, right? Like the worst part of the Titans defense is their secondary, and they've and they've had now had cluster injuries in their backfield uh, secondary. And but they're still so good against the run that teams have to just attack them where they're their weakest. Uh, and it's actually been counterintuitive that they're so good against the run, uh, and it's actually hurt them. But not just to uh coming off of his two games we also have some hot guys that we've been riding this this to this point that run into kind of some tricky spots this week um justin fields is playing the eagles geno smith is on thursday night against the 49ers uh trevor lawrence is against the cowboys and we've got jared goff against the jets uh you know any panic on any of these guys anyone that when you say like, we'll use mike white as like kind of the entry point that you would be willing to kind of play mike white over any of those guys I'm really worried that Goff could face plant because the, the Jets defense is playmakers in all three levels, all sorts of swag. And I get it. Goff's not getting sacked. There's been a long debate on Twitter. Is, is, is the sack rate in Detroit? How much of it is Goff? How much of it is the offensive line? Obviously, football, it, it's always difficult to success as many parents. So is failure for that matter. So it's hard to know how much of it is the scheme and the coordinator, you know, is he, is he the star is Goff the star is the offensive line, the star. It's obviously a combination of things, but mm -hmm. I'm really worried that Goff's going to have a poor game this week. You have to play St. Brown. There's no way you're getting away from that, but I no, nobody else in this passing game, including Goff don't want to go near. I'm afraid the jets uh, might hold the lines to something like 10 points with, with Lawrence, you know, because ETN isn't really running particularly well. And man, is it, it's just so surprising to me that they haven't done anything with him as a receiver because I think there should be opportunity. I mean, it's not like that they're they've gotten good production from from their the guys they throw to downfield, but it's not like it's so good that they should just uh, completely mothball ETN as a receiver. I guess maybe they've decided they don't think he's that special in that area. But man, I I, I trust Lawrence even against the I know the Cowboys are a bad matchup, and you can see right now you you can see them you know, pressuring the pocket on him. But Lawrence has played so well even last week with a toe injury. I saw him making off platform throws, and he did some things with his mobility and. I feel really good about Lawrence. He's somebody I'm going to play. The matchup doesn't doesn't scare me. I'm trying to think who else we were, we were worried about with matchups. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, Justin Fields is one of those guys. I think, like, what do you do? Because he's obviously a lot of people pick Justin Fields up and just have rode this wave. The thing with Fields, okay, the last time he played, there are a lot fewer called runs, but he yeah. makes one of them for, like, a 61-yard touchdown. I'm just concerned that they are going to be prudent with his running. 
and they're mm-hmm. not you know, granted there's going to be some flow of the game plays where he can he can break off a long run at any time he's such a special athlete and he's got great running instincts but i don't think we're going to see as many proactive runs from them and man it's just his receivers i mean obviously mooney's gone and you know claypool's been slow to, to pick up to be expected i mean you, you trade a receiver in the middle of the season you're not really sure what you're getting but i, I just don't know what he's working with downfield commits okay but not a special tight end i i can't proactively play him Fields is somebody I'd be nervous to play because I just don't think they're going to call a lot of proactive runs for him. So what you really need for him to do, if you play Fields, you first of all, you need a rushing touchdown from him because he's not going to throw that for that many. And you probably need him to run for 70 or 80 yards, and I don't think we can assume that. And when he was healthy and they were kind of playing with their hair on fire with Fields, which I thought was maybe a little bit reckless at times, okay, fine. I just don't – I can't assume that. I'd be looking to play away from Fields. I, I know this, this is a – Potential to sound really stupid because Fields could score 28 points. Maybe Mike right. White can't, but I would play Mike White over Justin Fields. Yeah, I, I think I, when I look at Fields, I look at it in context of like, well, what does is, what is my matchup look like, right? Like, it, am I a huge dog? Like, did I limp into the playoffs and am I facing just like this juggernaut of a team and I just need to just, I have to play like for all or nothing. And, you know, I think that's what you look at when you're looking at playing fields like versus a Mike White, right? Because Mike White, I still think has a high ceiling, but the floor should be a little bit higher, I believe, too. So, uh, you know, if I'm feeling really good, that's going to make my, just going to alter my decision, right? And, and right. I'm gonna it's play a great way to think about, you know, <laughs> I, I obviously want to win every week i want to win week one i want to week win yeah. week, week three week five but in the early part of the season i'm trying to build the best roster i can and i'm really just thinking okay how can i score how can i put up a lot of points and be be set for tiebreakers and you know be the team that advances when i have a similar win total and all that now it's like i have to win this game i yeah. have to beat this one specific team and a lot of matchups a lot of playoff matchups are going to be pretty close to even you're going to be pretty you know 55 45 or something like that but if you are a decided favorite or underdog if you're a favorite you have to take favorite strategies which is just your yeah. floor your conservatism all that stuff and if you're an underdog you gotta think about maybe pairing a receiver and a quarterback sometimes i'll even like play a defense against my opponent's quarterback i mean don't be crazy with it i'm not saying play the yeah. texans <laughs> defense against patrick mahomes or anything huh. like that but um i'm just looking for ways to correlate give myself something simple goes right for me and i have a better chance of winning so i i, I love yeah i always problem. like doing the wide receiver angle you know if uh you know my, my opponent has like a is, is a favorite and he's got a really great quarterback maybe just trying to come in and take a shot on like a yeah. lesser wide receiver that might be out there like you know your, your example like i might if i'm playing against Mahomes and i'm a huge dog i might just at wide receiver three throw a dart on like marcus fall scamping right and try to steal a touchdown uh, even Jared McKinnon, maybe right, yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah. There's like different kind of ways to do that because, like you said, you're trying to correlate versus your opponent, uh, and you know, also because you know, a lot of gamers might have Justin Fields and they might be going up against one of those spots. We said you might be going up against a Geno Smith, right? You might be going up against the Tua team, so you have to look at it in, under that light too. So there's something else that ties <laughs> into this. Um, I, I should have brought this up earlier in some of my Yahoo work, but it just popped into my head now. Something very unusual about this week's schedule that we normally don't see is there are three Saturday games. Yeah. So what's going to happen is your matchup is going to unfold at a different cadence. Usually you get the Thursday game and then a bunch of Sunday first wave games come at you. What's going to happen is, depending on the shape of your roster and your opponent's roster, I mean, it's possible you could have nobody going on Saturday. But what also is possible is you could come into Sunday morning with a decent chunk of your matchup already shaped. Yes. And so maybe you were the favorite going in, but then your opponent got really good production or maybe you needed Miami stuff didn't get it now you're a heavy underdog and now you that may affect how you change your opinion of things on Sunday so this is just the cadence of this week the pace of your game this week is going to be a lot different because the schedule is so much more segmented let's use that to our advantage okay let's play to the situation again you may be the big favorite this morning you may be an underdog on Sunday it could be the opposite and it may shape what some of your decisions are because again, again that's just the schedule is unusual this time of year. And so just, I'm not saying radically change your decisions. You're still trying to make the best decisions you can, but just understand that you're going to have more in the bank probably Sunday morning than you normally do. And that may change an opinion here or there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, what we talk about it from a DFS angle all the time, you know, that late swapping is the most underused element of daily fantasy sports. And I always bring that to the subscribers when we talk in the Sunday chats too, that people in their regular fantasy leagues don't late swap enough or adjust their lineup throughout the course of the day, what's unfolding. You set your lineup on Sunday morning and say, oh, there it was. And, you know, we'll let let everything kind of 
delay, but you can always calibrate your lineup and you may bring up a great point this week and next uh, because we've got Saturday, Sunday games next week too. We're going to have things kind of unfold differently. You might be going up against Justin Jefferson this week. And what if he only has like six for 80, right? On Saturday, you know, you might be a huge dog and you catch a, a 12 to 14 point Justin Jefferson game, right? You might run into the 35 point Justin Jefferson game too. Uh, and you have to adjust from there. So this, that's a great point uh, in particular about this week and how the NFL schedule lays out with just not having a Thursday game before we have our regular lineups. Um, yeah. So let's roll into running backs here. Uh, you already brought up Saquon. We've got a number of also running backs that were drafted highly that have not been very good the last month, uh, month plus Saquon, Dalvin cook, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, Travis Etienne. Uh, these guys are obviously like tough sits because again, you need a running back to bench them for, uh, but who amongst that group are are you confident in, least confident in uh, out of those guys? I know you've been a huge Alvin Kamara detractor from day one. so I have, <laughs> although, man, there's just not much left there. Um, Ingram, the fact that they had to activate David Johnson off the practice squad, I honestly didn't even realize David Johnson was on the practice <laughs> squad. I, I don't mean to be snarky about that. It just shows you the shelf life of running backs, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell or Todd Gurley, these guys were all on the covers of magazines and, and now they're you know, retired or semi-retired. I guess David Johnson's not done yet. He, what a fun player he was at peak. Le'Veon Bell was so much fun at peak too. Just nobody like him. But I think they, I need, they need Kamara. And, and it's weird, you know, I watched Dalton play and I think he's having a mediocre season. Then I look at a lot of the under-the-hood metrics and they look pretty good. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I mean, Mike actually pushed for – Dalton is a streamer this week. He, he might have, in that first segment, he might have brought up Dalton when I was talking about Mike White, although he's obviously a Mike White guy too. But um, maybe the Saints offense has a better – interesting, that division is just so interesting, right? I mean, I'm rooting for the Panthers because every other team in that division has driven me crazy. Arthur Smith's driven me crazy. Drake London's driven me crazy. Pitts <laughs> was obviously a major loss. I don't need to see the Buccaneers play another game. Nobody does, right? Yes. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, Mike – You've obviously lost money on Mike Evans. Chris Godwin has been okay. Fournette's probably being passed by Rashad White right now, and, and justifiably so. I think Brady's going to be on a different team next year. I think he realizes he needs he needs the, the ultimate SUV to step into, and the Beckoners aren't that anymore. He needs to trade in this car for a new model. I think he's going to do it. But not, not that Brady doesn't deserve some culpability. But I have an odd – Camaro was a guy faded before the season. I feel the season has played out in a way that I justified that pick, mm-hmm. but – I'm not victory lapping because it's not like, oh, my God, I saved my season by not drafting right. him. I mean, you could have drafted a million other guys who have been total bricks, too. So he's, and he's, he did have that big game against the Raiders. His volume at least has been there. But I think he's actually going to be fine against Atlanta. He's a guy – and Chubb, you have to play, too. He, he's just – he's got double-digit touches in his back pocket. Um, Watson played a little bit better next week. I Maybe just expecting – I had low expectations for Watson coming back, but he's been even – less than I expected mm-hmm. two years of not playing and being new to a team that just, we can't underestimate what that means, but I'd play Chubb with a fair level of confidence. I would play Camaro with a fair level of confidence. Barkley's kind of my flashpoint guy where, and, and I get it. Some people are like, well, wait a minute. Doesn't he have 18 to 20 touches in his back? Look what he did two weeks ago against Washington. We just take that sort of usage. And I know with running back again, this is a Levitonism and you've, I'm sure you've talked about this a lot as well. I mean, running back a lot of times is just about the volume where receivers more of a skill-based position. So if you can get somebody to 15 or 20 touches, like if I can, if I can get Cam Akers to like 15 touches, so what if he's really not that good or the, the Rams are an awful offense? I mean, that may be good enough, but uh, Barkley's the guy who I'm kind of proactively ranking low or you know, I'm moving the Bam more the Bam Knights of the Bam Morris. The Bam, Bam, Bam Morris I will not play this week. But I'm moving <laughs> the Bam Knights of the world and, and the Brian Robinsons of the world over Barkley. Yeah, Brian Robinson's an interesting guy too. I think when you look at guys that maybe like uh... – you know, are on rosters, right? Just they're, they're guys that, you know, are uh, you've been playing them maybe through some bye weeks or some injuries, but now that we're in, you know, week 15, they might not be your clear cut like RB2, but yeah, you can play some matchups if you ran into some of those guys along the way. So we want to pick all those guys up, you know, and then throw them at the wall, the Deontay Foremans of the world. Like you never know, right? And, uh, you know, Damian Harris looks like he's going to be back this week. Do you have a Patriots backfield take this week, assuming right now Ramondre's not going to play? If if Harris was cleared and Stevenson wasn't, um, I could go that route. I, I I assume that's a late game being in Vegas. At least it's been flexed out of the the Sunday yeah. game. That's the where the Giants and Washington are going to go. They actually but, did it good this week. Uh, Sunday is six 
games at 1 p.m. and four at the late slate. Yeah, which we're always dying for, right? We hate these <laughs> nine and threes that they throw at us sometimes. And I, and I get why they do it. They want to yeah. have a almost de facto standalone game at four o'clock. It's just so funny how often it's like, oh, that game was the Buccaneers and Rams. And it's like, who cares anymore? But right. um, it's the NFL, right? It's a snow globe league. I I could play Harris. The the problem is the page. I mean, we we hate the Patricia Joe Judge scheme. Whoever's running the show there, Mac Jones, has not played well. Excepting that Minnesota game, which was probably more of a statement on Minnesota's secondary just being <laughs> awful. What a weird team Minnesota is, by the way. Who, who yeah. thought that they could be like ten and three and Kirk Cousins is having the worst season of his career with peak Justin Jefferson? It just doesn't really make any sense. But. Um, <laughs> I, I could play Harris. He's not a proactive pick for me. I I would actually play Cam Akers over him, and I know it's gross to, to dip into the Rams' offense, but I feel like Akers already has like those seventeen touches banked. And I, I with the Patriots, I it would never surprise me if like Strong ended up being their guy, or I don't know, maybe it's a week where they threw forty passes. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved I love Pierre Strong as a as a prospect. I hope he does get a shot because he's got huge juice. Uh, you know, came from uh, you know, same school that uh, Zach Zenner came from. So I think people had like Zach FOMO. Uh, yeah. Yeah, people had people had some FOMO for like guys that put up those kind of numbers at a small school. But he's got a huge juice, and I think he saw a little bit of on Monday night with that big play. So I hope he does get a little bit of a shot. They obviously thought something was there when they drafted him, but you, you know, it's hard to get over the hurdle there in New England. Um, the Cowboys backfield since Zeke has come back, you know. Everyone is kind of like, what do we do? Zeke looked like he was on the downswing. Everyone wants Tony Pollard. He's been Tony Pollard's been everyone's favorite running back for the last two and a half years, right? Um, and they these dudes have just been awesome. The 732 yards since Zeke came back for those two guys in those four games. They have 11 touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Zeke has eight touchdowns in his past six games. Pollard has 10. While this is like great and we feel really warm and fuzzy about it right now. How sustainable is this? Uh, how good do you feel? Like, do you feel like we're going to get Lucy with the football here? Maybe not this week against the Jaguars, but you have games against the Eagles and Titans here, the rest of the fantasy playoffs. Uh, how just cozy are you feeling about having either Cowboy back? I don't feel bad about it. Uh, Pollard more explosive. Zeke probably has got more touchdown equity. I mean, certainly when they get near the goal line, you expect Zeke to get the ball. Fantasy football for me, and again, I go way back where – I remember when they introduced, when teams first started going committee and that you had to avoid the backfield by committee. And now it's become a rule of two and three, where if a team uses two primary backs, you can live with that. Once mm -hmm. they go to that third running option, which may even be the quarterback and, and you no know, Dak doesn't run as proactively as he used to. So the fact that we can eliminate the Cowboys backfield down to two, that think of like how easier it got in Washington once McKissick got hurt. I don't wish injury on anybody. But once we could say, well, it's, it's all Robinson and Gibson. There's not a third player to factor in here. Then it becomes fantasy viable. Because the Cowboys have found a way to get double-digit touches to both of these backs, because the offense is good enough, and they've, you know, they had their big Smith injury right away, but their offensive line has been pretty good. And there's a buoyancy of the offense, and they stay on schedule with their running game, and they're committed to them. The bottom line is this. Every week you play Zeke, I feel like you're getting 15 to 18 touches, some goal line opportunities. Every week you play Pollard, you're at least getting double-digit touches. And he's such an explosive player, there's always a chance he could break one. He's done a lot of that. I like what they're doing. I Would I love to see – I think we're all curious what Pollard would do in a featured role. But I don't want to make it like Zeke is like a stiff, like Zeke shouldn't be playing. Like Zeke's like right. stealing money when he gets paid or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, it, it's weird that Jerry Jones has made Zeke the centerpiece of the offense and everything. I, I know that's – kind of a little bit of a disconnect, but he's playing fine. Pollard's been great. There's no third back and Prescott no longer is a major, you know, breadwinner on the ground anymore. It used to be no. run for five or six touchdowns a year. That's kind of out the window now. So I feel pretty good about those guys. It's a little frustrating because you don't know if you roster one of them, you don't know. Anytime the Cowboys just scored, it could have been the other guy. And that's a little bit frustrating, but I feel any weeks he's getting 18 touches. Pollard's getting 12 to 15 and that's just fine on an offense that's probably a top five offense. Yeah, you just throw, throw it at the wall, hope for the best. Uh, and yeah, you, you'll get it. Try to isolate it. Not think about it like the Cowboys running backs, but think about their usage versus 
the the peers, whether it be in rankings or or your lineups uh, in that context as well. That's kind of what you want to think about. Uh, you brought up Jalen Waddle. We also have guys like you know Chris Olave has been just more or less fine of late. Uh, Amari Cooper, uh, Mike Evans is still in the longest touchdown drought of his career. He had a real rough one Sunday, seventy yarder called back, and then Brady spiked another potential touchdown where he was wide open. Um, are these all guys we just got to keep going back to the well on? And uh, oh, or do you say like, all right, listen, maybe I've got to bench a, a Jalen Waddle here, and and if so, uh, do you have any kind of favorite guys that are on the fringe this week? The problem with all those guys is I think I moved them all down a tier or a half tier, but they're still ranked highly enough that you're probably mm-hmm. going to play them. I mean, Evans right now is wide receiver twenty two. If you're in a league that needs three receivers, you get three yeah. people better than Mike Evans. Like that's great. You've done a hell of a job drafting or trading, or I don't know how you did it. You you, know, you hypnotized all your opponents. I don't have rosters that are that strong. One of my biggest regrets this year is I wish I could have gotten the Genos. I wish I could have known somebody would tap me on the shoulder and said Geno Smith's going to be good. And even if you don't <laughs> get Geno Smith, you're going to get all this Metcalf and Lockett because they're going to be so affordable. And they're, they're so bankable. I, I get I get they're playing the 49ers tonight, but you know, Lockett's got touchdowns in six straight games, and Metcalf almost never has a poor game. The concentration in Seattle is so narrow. And, and Gino, I think Geno's good. I, I know he's had some turnover problems lately. One of the interceptions last week, they missed an obvious offsides. Geno threw a YOLO ball because he thought he had a free play. I don't really blame that on Geno at all. But I do have, quote-unquote, sleeper or unheralded receivers I'm willing to go with this week. The problem is they're probably not good enough to go past the Alaves or the, or the Mike Evans is like, I'm open-minded to Chris Moore who had a double digit target game in Houston last week. And everybody's hurt there. I think he's going to get eight to 10 targets again. Kansas city's pass defense. Isn't very good. Elijah Moore I talked about earlier. He had 10 targets against Buffalo. I do believe in Mike white Davis is out. Those are guys who are maybe creeping into my top 35 or maybe even like the top 30. Would I play them over Alave or Evans or guys like that? No, uh, they are people who, so you, you, the question is who would I play them over? Maybe Deontay Johnson, who's got that dubious record right now, the, the most <laughs> targets in a season without a touchdown. Yeah, don't tease us, Deontay, go the distance. Hundred, yeah, you gotta finish the job now, man. You've got <laughs> this far and, and like, I get it. They have nine touchdown passes. It's not like somebody else is going crazy and, and he's a slot receiver. He's not, des- he's not designed to be a 13 touchdown guy. I get it, but uh, I could play one of the Moors. I could play Elijah or even Chris Moore over Deontay Johnson. Certainly Elijah Moore. I, I know playing a Texan receiver may not be for everybody, but there's somebody I could practically bench. I, I think Holly, uh, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, now with yep. Colt McCoy in there. Their offensive line is, is in shambles, and they're playing at Denver. We know almost every game Denver last week accepted is like a 16-13 to 13 rock fight because they don't give up the ball. They, they stop everything. I think this game's going to be like that, where it's, you know, if you told me either team would get the 14 points, I would say bet on that team right now. <laughs> Maybe you could play one of these lesser more guys over Gabe Davis. Maybe even DJ Moore. I, the Panthers yep. want to run the – this breaks my heart. Because I love DJ Moore, and I drafted DJ Moore aggressively. He's on a bunch of my teams. I really don't know what to do with him, but they have told you what they want to be. They, they want to run the ball as heavy – they want as heavy a run rate as anybody in the league – they have a pretty good defense. It's not, you know, lights out defense, but it's good enough. And they they want to win the ball. They want to win their games, minimizing the exposure to their quarterbacks because they've had to play Mayfield. They've had to play Sam Darnold. They've had to play PJ Walker. So DJ Moore could have four or five targets. He's already yeah. had his four touchdowns, which we know is kind of the cap of any DJ Moore season. You know, guys <laughs> like Moore and McLaurin, man, I will just always die on that hill of I know these guys are great, and I just yep. feel like they're in the right situations. At least with McLaurin, since Heineke's been in there, Heineke will throw the YOLO ball to McLaurin. He's gotten more opportunity. I really don't think Heineke's really very good. But no, he, I feel like he throws. Somebody said on Twitter, it may have been you, that he throws like four or five pick sixes a game. I mean, they may they may get dropped. The defender may not read the play correctly, but he's just throwing a lot of dangerous stuff out there. And we'll see if the Giants are good enough on defense to take advantage. I know their secondary has been awful, but uh, you know, guys, I'm looking to proactively bench. Deontay Johnson's on that list. Uh, DJ Moore's on that list. Marquise Hollywood Brown's on that list. Those are some of the yep. guys I'm looking away from. I, I Pickens is a really talented guy, but how can you feel good about any Pittsburgh receiver right now? No, no, you can't. Yeah, uh, since Sam Darnold took over, they've thrown 43 passes, uh, 15% below pass rate expectation. They they want they want to grind it. Steve Wilkes. Uh, Panthers been a sneaky great cover team though, and they've obviously won a bunch of games, but uh, one of the hottest teams against the spread. Love it uh, since love Matt it. since Matt Rula has been gone. Uh, maybe like the That's last such year's an easy Lions. team to root for. You know, they they fire the coach. 
they trade the signature player. Not, not that McCaffrey was a problem for them, but they trade McCaffrey. They fire yeah. the coach. They shuffle up the quarterbacks. And I feel like there's a full buy-in from this team. I feel like they have this, like, why not us? Why why can't we win this division? The last time they played Tampa Bay, they beat the snot out of Tampa Bay. There was nothing fluky about it. The Panthers just dominated that game. Mm-hmm. And if they just had that one game in Atlanta back, and I realize that game went back and forth. The, the Panthers would have been lucky to win on that long touchdown to Moore, and then he takes the helmet off, and Panero misses the kick in overtime. But I feel like I, I tweeted earlier this week that I said, if you don't have a previous emotional tie to this division, then the Panthers are your team, and the heck with everybody else. You know, <laughs> the Panthers are likable. The Panthers are. I'm, and, and I'm a free agent fan with these types of things. You know, I, I just I think the Panthers have a, a swag to them. And a buy into them. I, I, I like the direction they've had with the new coach and even Darnold. You know, everything went wrong for him in in New York. He got mono. Who gets mono? You know, he, he had Adam Gase coaching him, and you know, I don't I don't think Sam Darnold's a total lost cause. I think he could still play in the NFL for like eight or ten years. Maybe it's as a backup. Maybe it's as an occasional starter. He just had a really bad setup. I mean, think of Geno Smith, right? Yeah, Gino's going to change the the dichotomy of this conversation for a while now. What and he did, everything went wrong for him. He got punched by a teammate and, and he got his jaw broken. I mean, when does that ever happen? And Geno Smith's a good play. He's good, man. I, the Seahawks should sign him to extension. He, I would want him to play quarter, especially in a year where so many quarterbacks have broken. And it's so ironic, right? I mean, they, they get they trade Wilson. It's like, what are you going to do? Here's Geno Smith. Here's Drew Locke. Lots of luck to you. I thought I thought the Broncos were one of the great defensive streamers or draft them in the last round picks because they were going to win like thirty-seven to ten on opening night. Could not have been more <laughs> wrong about that. And I, and I realize Seattle's fallen on hard times lately. A lot of that is based on their defense. Their running game has been kind of a mess. Even before Walker got hurt, he had that low success rate. He was kind of a boomer bust back. I'm worried to play him this uh, tonight. It's another guy I will not play proactively, but. I think Geno Smith's hashtag good, and, and I wish I had gotten to that before the season because I'm underweight on Lockett and Metcalf. And in a year where there haven't been a lot of right answers, I think both of those guys have been right answers. Yeah, uh, they've been t- t- good together, too. I mean, that was always the one thing. They'd always have great stat lines under Russ, but then they were on a weekly under, basis, yeah. it would be, well, did, which Seahawks guys? He's the old DFS mantra, like, well, which guy are you going to play with this week? Are you going to get it right? But they have seven games this this season where they've both been wide receiver twos or better. Uh, the previous three years, they had just six, that's six so of those rare. games. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great stat for me. Absolutely that's, crazy. Uh, read the worksheet, man. Yeah. Uh, listen, I'll let you get out of here. Uh, we've got, I'll hit you one more thing. Uh, do you have like a game of the week? Like we, you always brought, use the phrase. I always heard it first from you, the carnival, the, the, the carnival game. Like, do you have a, a game this week? I know 2022 has been light on, on carnival climates, but uh, do you have a game this week uh, that you would say would be like the carnival game of choice? It's a great question. I think there'll be a lot of scoring in the Chargers-Titans game. And you know what? This is going to sound kooky. You don't need any help starting your Chiefs. But I think Chris Moore's going to do something. And even Jeff Driscoll, who's got tight end eligibility in Yahoo, I think that the Texans will get like their token 13 to 17. And the Chiefs will get like, you know, 38 or whatever it is. I'm not afraid. I put a sleep article today and it had two Texans in it. So, (laughs) you know, again, there's my yellow pick. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have a chance, uh, you know, we had a taste and experience a few years ago, you get a chance to play a quarterback at tight end. Uh, that actually could quarterback, not like the, the 2022 Taysom, but like. I like the, I think the Jags, um, the Jags Cowboys game will have a lot of score. I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence against Dallas. I'm, I bought in on Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Cowboys have a ton of injuries. I mean, they lost th- uh, three defensive backs the past two games. Uh, really kind of a bummer run. We don't want to see the Cowboys limp in because. They're kind of like what we're holding on to in the NFC of like making the NFC playoffs like kind of relevant because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just have the Eagles and Cowboys now that Grapple has been hurt up there. No one really believes in the Vikings and then the rest is just kind of they're they're going to be there to be like glad you came to the dance. Uh, Let me ask you this. Which which team, which NFL team that's in danger of missing the playoffs? This is like almost every year. This is usually a Chargers team for me where it's like <laughs> I wish the Chargers would make the playoffs. I know they're not going to. What 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 team or teams? I think a lot of people feel this way about the Lions. It's like, oh, they're coming around. Wouldn't be cool if they make the playoffs. They're probably not going to. What in danger of? I, I think the Jets are my answer. Like, I would love to see the Jets in the playoffs because every team in the AFC does not want to play them. Buffalo's like, get this team away from us. You know, we we got our lunch handed to us in New York. We were lucky to beat them in Buffalo. What they have like two hundred thirty four yards of offense yeah. or something like that. 
The Jets have so much swagger. They you know, obviously Sauce Gardner's getting a lot of attention, but they have all sorts of playmakers on defense, and they have playmakers on offense too. I hope the Jets make the playoffs, and I know right now they're they're probably close to a coin flip to make it. Who is your in jeopardy team? And I, also, I would love to see the Pan- the Panthers have no upside if they make it. I mean, they'd probably yeah. get crushed by Dallas in the first round. I just think it'd be a fun story if they made it. Who are those in jeopardy playoff teams that you're kind of pulling for? I mean, we just talked about the Seahawks would be for sure the one. I mean, because because in the NFC, if you could just score, like there's a shot in the NFC. Like you have a shot if you can just score points. Um, because you know, you figure like if whoever gets in between Washington and the Giants is a team that probably can't score. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whoever gets in from the NFC South is a team that probably can't score. So, like, if you can just score, like, you've got a shot. And like, Seattle's defense is absolutely atrocious, but like, they can score points. So, I would love to see them. Uh, the AFC, it's tough because, like, you said, like, you want the Jets to get in, but it's like, who realistically in the AFC can like run through like three of the really good quarterbacks that the because the AFC playoffs are going to be awesome because the quarterbacks in the AFC are, are so good. And if we get, it looks like we're going to get the Chargers in based on their remaining schedule. We'll, we'll see if they charger it. But uh, the quarterback play, and who we have an outside shot to still get Lawrence in. That week eighteen game might matter. Yeah, they're they're they kind of got the setup that the Panthers have in that division. Then the AFC South, where it's like maybe the Jaguars can kick the door down. Tennessee's obviously a very flawed team. Man, do they need Traylon Burks back? I have some fantasy. Teams they they just have it, they've had so many defensive injuries here the past couple weeks that uh, it's going to be hard to kind of make up that ground if they don't get some of these guys back. But the Jaguars might have put themselves in too big of a hole too early. I mean, think about the Jags. They've got losses to the Giants, the Texans, the Broncos. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough to come out of those holes. Like Those are games you've got to win if you want to make the playoffs. For sure. Uh, but they would be fun. The Jags would be fun to get in. A lot more fun than the Titans who we've seen. Although Vrabel's done an excellent job. Don't let me take anything away from Vrabel, the work he's done there. Uh, but yeah, they, those are all kind of fun teams. Uh, the AFC playoffs, though, the quarterback plays is so strong. I can't wait to watch some AFC yeah, playoff but, football. I mean, Burrow, Burrow, Allen, and, and Mahomes at the top. And, and if we get Herbert in, like, so yep. you, you throw him bullets. I mean, no, I know none of us really have faith in the Chargers offense, big picture, the way it's kind of constructed, the way they run it. But having just Herbert in feels right. At least they're getting healthier, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> nice to see them with, like, I get it. Allen and Williams are getting their dangerous ages. They're a very slow team. They, they desperately need, I, I thought they made a big mistake not making a trade at the deadline. Now, it's so, is it great that we have a trade deadline that matters now? It used to be the NFL trade deadline was the hugest dud in the world. Oh, somebody just acquired oh, yeah. a backup left guard. And it was always in like week six. Right, right. Now we have, a, you know, teams are willing to make some moves. And I, I thought the Chargers should have added something, but they didn't. But still, I mean, their defense confused Tua last week. Staley's still a good defensive coach. I, I'm not in love with him as a, some of his um, game decision stuff, but... And you talk about the Charger. I mean, last week was such a Charger game where they're dominating. And you look up the scoreboard. I've said this already. They're only up by three points. It's like, are they really going to blow this game? But fortunately, they won it. Yeah, but if we can get Burrow and we can get um, we can get Justin Herbert and obviously Mahomes and Allen are you know they're already in the playoffs and um, that would be really fun. And um, and the Char- Chargers always play the Chiefs well, so that's like the one thing. Like if you say like the Chiefs. Like they're the one team that kind of does push the Chiefs at least they've to the won, end of these games. They've won an Arrowhead um, because we know Patrick Mahomes does not lose road games in the division. That's one of my favorite stats. He's never lost a road game in the AFC West, which is mind blowing. Yeah, to me incredible. When you think of just some what some of the places you have to win there, but um, you know it, it was it was funny because the season started. We all thought the AFC West was going to be the fun zone, and it hasn't been that. But if the Chargers can get, I picked the Chargers to go to the Super Bowl. My Super Bowl pick was Eagles. I feel good about that. Chargers, I. You want to erase that, but it's like maybe don't erase it yet. You know, maybe the Chargers aren't totally drawing dead yet. Yeah, yeah. If you followed us, all of us at, at Chart Football uh, throughout the offseason, we were all mega on the Eagles, uh, super on the Eagles, especially with that schedule that they had, and it just played out perfectly. And Jalen Hurts made that I'm ascension. So, I'm so dumb because I picked them to go to the Super Bowl, and I'm like underweight on every one of their guys who are all right ends, other than Goddard, who ended up being the one who got hurt. He was playing great before he got hurt, but uh, I remember talking to Evan in the off season still, but we had on one of the Yahoo things. I said, you know, what I love about Hertz is he can have a bad game and still score 25 points. Mm-hmm. And what if he doesn't have bad games anymore, which is like kind of who he is now. I probably going to win the MVP. I think Mahomes is the best player in the league, but I'll, if Hertz wins it, I'm fine with it. AJ Brown, we all knew was a God. All he needed was just an uptick in volume, which he's gotten. 
Devonta, you know what I love about that team too is they complement each other. When they get Goddard back, they'll have three downfield weapons that they challenge different parts of the field and, and they run different types of routes. They just they all mesh together. It's like a basketball team where you have players who play well together. I just think they have a puzzle piece offense that really fits nicely. It helps that they have a mobile quarterback. Of course, the offensive line is outstanding. Miles Sanders, all that positive touchdown regression has been a big win. I don't know why I don't have a bunch of him. I'm, I'm inviting the wrong people to my leagues, obviously. <laughs> I, I got to invite people who don't want Miles Sanders, but um, I, I screwed up because I like the Eagles and I don't have a lot of them. And that feels like a gigantic miss. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles, and you see this on a weekly game plan approach with them. They can just do so many things. They've got so much depth. And even on the defensive side of the ball, they've got so much depth. They're just, they have a really complete roster. Uh, how he's built it. And, and what's great is they built this thing with outs. Like they insulated themselves for if this failed this year. You know, they've got all these picks oh, in the future. The draft capital they have is insane. Yeah. They're set up to be really good for a long time. Jets too. Jets, but the Jets sure. might still have to solve quarterback. That's the one like hurdle now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Jets have set themselves up in a really good way too. Uh, Lions have set themselves up in a really good way. And, it, and it's hard to fault the Rams because they actually cash the ticket. You know, yeah, they, they flags fly they, forever. For they sure. won this. Yeah, the, that's that banner is going to be up there forever. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a rough spot they're in the rest of the way here. Saints and Rams are in some real tough spots organizationally. Let me ask you two two just fun predictions on the way out. Does Sean McVay coach the Rams next year? No. Does Tom Brady play football next year? And if so, is it with the Bucks? Uh I would say, man, I don't I, I definitely not with the Bucks. I'm hesitant to say does he play though? Because he's got that huge deal. Brady's interesting because you probably have followed Brady like a little more closely uh as a as a human you know off the field uh i feel like brady's like candor has changed a lot dramatically the last couple years uh he seems like very much more humble than down to earth than i remember remember ever him ever being uh so maybe he just enjoys playing on i always said i wanted to see him play to 50 i wanted to see him try i would love to just see a guy play to 50 again could you see him this sounds so kooky but uh, I think of a franchise that seems to bring in a new veteran quarterback every year. Maybe he's the 2023 quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, man. I don't know if he could do that, but I can see the Colts want to do that. Yeah. Like the receiver room. I, I'm, I'm still – like Mike, I guess Michael Pittman goes down as a loss. I, I'm still a Michael Pittman guy. I mean, and I paid the heel. Well, you work him. with Matt Harmon. He ain't going to let you slide. Uh <laughs> on Michael Pittman. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to draw the 49er, like Bridge. You know, he can just walk into the 49ers. I mean, they're going to be in a spot this year to figure out what they're going to do with Trey Lance. Um, obviously, the Jets. I mean, what if he played for the Jets? That'd be insane. How real do you think Purdy is, by the way? What, what was your takeaway on him through two weeks? Um, he's a, uh, you know, I believe just in the, you know, right right guy, right time. But you just need to play point guard in that in that yep. system. Like, right? Like, he's fine to do that. Like, I think uh, big picture, uh, he'll be kind of like the guy that, that probably prevents them from making where they want to go. But... Uh, with that amount of talent, you look at last week, Debo leaves the game. They can just put Christian McCaffrey out at wide receiver. Like, cool, we'll do this. Like, Gorgeous, you know? gorgeous touchdown on the left sideline. Yeah, yeah they've really got fun to watch that. Yeah, I mean, you just need a guy that can facilitate, uh, you know, that understands, you know, how to play the position without, you know, rec- being reckless. Uh, you're a good point guard. If you get just a Stockton in there, you're all right. Sure. Uh, I like the way you, you analyze that. Just to give my answers, I, I don't think McVay will coach next year. I do think Brady's playing for somebody. Probably not Tampa Bay. I would love to see McVay just like go into the sunset. I know that it's, it's a mindset for these head coaches that they don't, but like I would love to see a young guy just go and enjoy his life. Like, you know, into, you know these guys hang out on TV. They're, because being an NFL head coach seems miserable to me. And I'm not an NFL coach, mm-hmm. but it seems like a, from a lifestyle stance, it's not an enjoyable way to live. It's a and bad I would gig. Love- it's a tough gig because it dominates <laughs> your life. And every coach will tell you that losing is much more painful than winning is satisfying. And you always feel like you should be watching more tape. You should be spending more time at the office. You sleep there, all that stuff. And I could see just these guys need periodic breaks. You know, I'm old enough to remember Dick Vermeil, you know, who ran hot with with the Eagles and then he, he needed time off and then he had the Rams, they go to the Super Bowl and then he went, you know, coach the Chiefs for a while. I think McVay needs to maybe it's up to him, do whatever he wants, but this Rams team is set up to be bad for a while. It was worth it. They won the championship as we mentioned. Take a year or two off, consult, do some TV work, be the hot name every time a job comes up and then pick your spot. You you'll get you, you'll be at the top of just about every coaching list. You know, they, every time every good job opens up, 
and then, you know, step in. Who knows? Maybe Andy Reid, you know, decides to retire in a year or two and Patrick Mahomes needs a coach. I mean, wouldn't that be a good spot mm. for him? If so, I'm a, if I'm a McVay and I'm not, and he can make his decisions any way he wants to, I say, hey, it's been great. We won a title. We went to two Super Bowls. I'm really proud of that. I'm going to go walk on the beach for a while. I'm going to go, you know, just <laughs> do some life things for a while, feel the grass a little bit. And, uh, you know, you'll be here. Well, yeah, it's it's rarer that a, a guy like McVay in his position and be that young in the NFL and, like, just, like, to go live some life. Uh, yeah, it's be interesting to see what happens. But, listen, it was a great – it was a pleasure to have you on. Let everyone know what's going on uh, at Yahoo, where they can find some of the stuff you're doing. Uh, whatever you want to play – anything you want to plug, go for it on the way out here. Sure. Uh, Scott <laughs> underscore Pianowski catches me on Twitter. I'm a regular on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is our – podcast matt Harmon is shepherding that ship doing a great job with it i'm part of the sunday night uh, recap where we go through all the games and i'll, I'll be on the preview show that we're going to tape later today i'm a periodic guest on that and i also want to point out and I, i'm reluctant to point this out because i feel like the moment i mention it it's just going to all go to crap but i give up five picks a week against the spread we're 44 and 23 this year it's Ooh, baby. season so uh, the jets especially this year uh the, i feel very fortunate man but again you know all I know, I'm, I'm just a blink away from going 0-5 any week. I do like the Jets this week. I haven't settled on the rest of my picks, but I'll give those out on Friday. I did write an article about some fantasy tips if you're in the playoffs. We talked about some of them today on this show. But catch me on Twitter, Scott underscore Pianowski. And, and whether it's football, baseball, music, movies, you know, food, you want to show me a picture of your dog. I mean, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I, I try to... Try to be open to different conversations. I, I try to use Twitter for good things. I, occasionally, you know, I get a little cranky like everybody else. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting softer in my old, my old days. You know, if you want to tell me that your, your kid just scored their first basket or whatever, I'm, I'm all ears. Let's, uh, let's have a talk on Twitter. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, you're you're a great follow for uh, music and movie recommendations too. So I will say that too as well. You have good taste. You have good taste. So I definitely will vouch for that as well. Uh, there you have it. Though. Scott Pianas from Yahoo. That's going to wrap up Week 15. As always, I hope everyone gets their wins and their season-long leagues. Everyone hits their cash lines in DFS. And we would love, love someone to tip something over this week. Get some of that Christmas cash back in your pocket. We will be back in Week 16. Good luck, everybody.